day at the organ I was weary and ill at ease And my fingers wandered idly Over the noisy keys I know not what I was playing Hello, welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. So in this episode, I'll be jumping into uh, Roderick Hudson by Henry James. This is a rather lengthy novel. It was his second novel after Watchin' Ward. But if you were to consider that he sort of purged Watchin' Ward from, from memory, kind of self-purged it, uh, it's it can be kind of seen as his first novel. It certainly is his first novel that really got his... Uh, that's kind of Rose's popularity as a writer. So I'm someone who doesn't always accept or, you know, maybe rarely accepts the, the received opinion about texts, but in the case of Watchin' Ward, I kind of agree. I, that was kind of a good book to maybe get uh, put under the carpet. But still, The Library of America tends to err on the side of completeness with some authors, especially one like Henry James. So we have it and we looked at it and it's over. So we can get to what's objectively a better novel. It still has its issues, but it's um, a lot more engaging and the characters are a lot more uh, well-developed and and attractive to us. and And I think it's it's just all in all a much stronger um, and, and richer novel. So um, now this was published in 1875 in the Atlantic Monthly. James got a thousand dollars. No, maybe twelve hundred for it. I think it was maybe published in ten or twelve parts in the Atlantic Monthly over the year of 1875, and he got a hundred dollars per installment. So. Um, I guess, I don't know if that's his first big paycheck, but, but he came from kind of a fairly wealthy family. So I don't think we have to worry too much about the, the income of this work the way we do with, with our Lovecraft series. But, you know, anyways, that's the way it is. He, this was published serially um, in, in American newspapers, as, may, as many famous novels were originally published. Um, so this story is really about four characters... And in, in their romantic entanglement, it's it's not like a love triangle so much. It's it's that we have two men who are both attracted to the same two women, and and there's complexities about you know engagement and and totally being honest about engagement and things like that. I mean, in one sense, what this novel really is is a is a, is a essentially a married guy who goes to Europe and ends up playing around with girls. Um, you know, it's. It's kind of a expat trope in a way. Uh, I don't know if this comes up again in later Henry James novels. If it does, maybe it can be kind of a Henry James trope. But it's something you actually see in life, right? You see, uh, you know, people who, you know, they go abroad and, you know, away from... Now, he's not married at the time. He's engaged to this woman. Uh, the titular character, Roderick Hudson. He's married to this woman, or engaged to this woman, Mary, but he still goes to Europe and... and he never really tells the girls he's playing around with there quite about that. Now, you know, it's it's 18th century, so it's not about sex so much as like courtship and, and flirting and, and, and kind of social engagements and things like that. 
you know, the trajectory of all these characters is to marriage. That's the way these kind of novels go. That's just the time that the stuff was written in, and, and that's just the way it is. It's not, um, you know, whatever. If it was a modern novel, I think you'd have some of these other layers that I'm kind of suggesting here, but you don't really get it overtly here, but that, that's kind of what's going on. So our, our four main characters in this kind of romantic entanglement are... Now, they're not the main characters of the novel because one of them is kind of a backdrop character uh, for most of it, but um, it's Roland, Roland Mullet, uh, who is a rich, uh, aimless American who, after the Civil War, it's kind of set pretty much in contemporary times. It's after the Civil War. He doesn't, he's kind of, I think he served his time in the Civil War, but he has money and he really doesn't know what to quite do with his life now that he has money. You know, why he doesn't invest in railroads or something, I'm not sure, but wouldn't have made for a very interesting novel. He wants to do something good with his life anyways. He wants to do something meaningful, and it's not really clear what he can do that'd be meaningful. So he's kind of rather aimless at the beginning. And the second main character, the other guy, is Roderick Hudson from the title, and he's a, he's, he's a sculptor who we meet working in a law office. But he's a brilliant uh, sculptor, and Roderick, or Roland, sorry, Roland who has money now sees him as a project that he's going to sort of cultivate and immediately he says, why don't you go to Rome? I'm going to Europe anyways. Why don't you go to Rome with me? I'll basically pay your way and you can study art, become an artist and become famous. Right. And that, that's something I think we need to talk about and think about with novels like Roderick Hudson or all these kind of expat American expat novels is what, why, and especially with art, because I've definitely seen this before in, were in other works is that hawthorne book the fawn something fawn book is you have that same idea of going to europe right what is it why do artists have to go to europe to learn american art i mean especially in 1870 in the colonial period yeah all the major american artists had to go to europe to study because that's the only place you could see artists before mechanical reproduction and it's it's there weren't trained artists to, to educate you in the Americas. But by the 1870s, you had a homegrown indigenous artistic culture, right? But there's still this assumption in, the, in our main character that, oh, we have to go to Europe. If you, you have to go to Rome if you want to learn to be an artist. And I don't know. And that's one thing I, I don't fully... I'm kind of, that makes me kind of skeptical of Henry James overall is this rather this idea that Europe has something to, to offer to America. <laughs> and maybe that's me really being a little bit nationalistic and, and, and maybe too much in, in, ensconced in this kind of American writing and American culture if I ha as I have been for, for much of my life and certainly the last few years. You know, it's, it's kind of like, what? Dickens? Shakespeare? Who needs that stuff? We have, we have Thoreau and we have, we, have, we have Twain. We have Jack London. You know, I don't see any need to 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 talk about the uh, talk about you know the Fairy Queen or, or or something like that. Anyways, that's just my prejudice, but it's 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 here. This so anyways, that's the story we got though. He has to go to Europe to to cultivate his art in a way, to really be a, a legitimate artist. Now, part of it is also just escaping the small town he's in. He's like in this New England, Massachusetts small town, working in a law office, his parent, and there's no money. You know, in a sense, if it hadn't been for Roland taking him to Rome, he never would have become anything. 
you know, in the in the United States, maybe there is this limitation, and and maybe that is a sin of America, right? That there's, um, you know, especially in the Gilded Age, right? This idea you have to, you know, go make it in the world, right? You go west for land, or kind of climb up the corporate ladder, right? The the kind of the Alger myth. But I don't know. I don't know if that's quite what's going on here. But it's it's there's some reason this like Europe is pulling James constantly there. And there's interesting contrasts made in these these types of novels. But I always feel kind of let down by Europe. It's it's just too aristocratic and too proper and, and too much focused on like marrying the proper person and the right person. I just don't dig that stuff too much. It's you know, it doesn't move me. Like, so much of this this novel is centers around, and we'll get to it later on, probably the next episode a little bit more, but so much of it centers around the, you know, who is this woman, Christina, who is the main female kind of protagonist of the novel? What, you know, who is she going to marry? She has to marry the right person, right? Yeah. And she, she's of American blood, but, you know, there's this idea she has to marry someone of, of elite standing, someone with money. Beautiful, bougie people marrying up is, is what's going on in a lot of these novels. That's what kind of turned me off of, like, uh, some of the the Edith Wharton I read, too. I don't know. I like the frontier stuff. I like I liked, uh, Willa Cather a little bit more. She seemed a bit more down-to-earth. Um, but anyway, so those are our two main characters. Roland, who's aimless, but a little bit more level-headed and, and steady. Roderick, who's a little bit crazy. But... Um, quite nuts actually often and reckless and and does things without thinking them through um and this brilliant artist um then now the two females that are kind of in this mix is is mary mary gardner who's a a distant relative who's like a cousin of roderick and even poorer and more miserable than 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 roderick's family so she's one of these distant cousins so she's marriageable she's she's in she's far enough out that she's marriageable material and then the other is this this essentially it's a half american as it turns out but but christina um christina light and they meet her in rome so she doesn't enter the story until a little bit later and she's super hot and both men have an attraction to her and there's going to be some tension over that so um those are our four kind of central characters but then there's side characters who are interesting have to contribute like christina's mother is fascinating she's like uh this american uh who moved to europe and hangs out with aristocratic people she wants her daughter to marry up and she's kind of an adventurous kind of woman and she's rather fascinating even though she has these very bougie values at the end of the day um yeah, but, you know, there's characters that kind of float around. Are there artists we run into? But the narrative really hovers around these four people and their, their interconnected lives. So as the story begins, we basically are introduced first to Roland, Roland Mullet. And we really showed his kind of aimlessness, his, his kind of his, that he has his wealth, but he doesn't really know where to go. Um, you know, I think there's this, I've been, re- I've been reading this, uh, New History by Richard White of Reconstruction and the Gilded Age. And, you know, I was this is set kind of in the same period of time, right? Right after the Civil War. And this idea, like, what do we do now? What as a nation do we do now? And this huge debate, this titanic debate over what happens next. 
and how there was an agreement on that. I kind of feel that in Roland's kind of life. It's like, do I pursue it like a life of, of wealth and pursuing that, or do you pursue a life of charity and benevolence and improving society? Do I focus on art? You know, what do I, what do I do? Right. Is, you know, like America could have gone in separate ways, right? This is something Matt Christman has been talking about. He's one of the Chapel Trap House guys. He's uh, doing a daily vlog these days, and he's been talking about this kind of like moment in history where it could have gone a different way, and he kind of gravitates towards Reconstruction. But anyways, he, Roland's in one of these moments where his life could go either way. He's talking about all this with his cousin uh, Cecilia. Now, Cecilia has this friend, Roderick Hudson, this, this acquaintance. So basically, Roderick Hudson is introduced through this woman, Cecilia, and she introduces him to, to Roland. And he's, at the time, just really bored with life. He's kind of miserable. He's working in a law. He's a law clerk, essentially, and he doesn't like any of it. But he's a really talented artist, and he's got some sculptures. He's got some different models and things he's been working on. And right away, it's revealed that, you know, Roland sees him as a project that he can work on. Now, most of the novel is actually about the relationship between these two men and their various tensions. And it's not homoerotic. I, I'm not suggesting that. It's, but it, the, they're the center. That, their relationship is the center of the novel. It's what begins the novel. And, and it's there at the very end of the novel, too. Right? Um, but he's such a talented artist. And Roland's planning to go to Europe anyways. So he just says, why don't you come along? And, you know, I'll pay your way as long as you need to. You can study, learn, learn to be a great artist, make your name for yourself in Rome and in, in Italy or in Europe in general. And, and we'll see where it goes. Right. Um, so he's fully behind this and he kind of sees in this a chance for him to do something good in his life and do something good with his money and his wealth. So anyways, the decision must go to Rome. So back to this question, you know, why is it Rome? Why, why does. Why do Americans have to go to Europe? Why is that the only place an artist can find himself in? You know, is there not an inspiration in America? Maybe it's the style of of art, you know. But I was looking at, I was at the American Museum of or the Smithsonian Museum of, of American Art a couple summers ago, before COVID, you know, when I could still go back to America. And, you know. A lot of those statues I saw for the first time, you know, and they're by Americans. And, and some of them went to Europe. Many of them never really did. They learned their craft in the United States. And many of them are really wonderful and beautiful and dealing with American themes. But, you know, they're, they're kind of not, they're not in the art history textbook that I'm teaching, right? Those are all Europeans. So I don't know. You got to, I mean, you got to give them some credit, though. They, I mean, they did create the renaissance <laughs> you know they did create caravaggio and rembrandt and these things so um whatever i just want i just want to believe there is more fertile ground for an authentic kind of american culture um i don't think james is really thinking about these things though to be honest i think he's just someone who who'd like to go to europe spend to europe and he, he has this idea of telling a story about expats in in europe and what kind of adventures they go on and what kind of romances they get into and when they meet other expats, uh, expats what happens? What does that mean for the family back home? There, There is good stuff there. I just, I'm a little already, it's just one novel into James, disappointed by like Europe has to be the pole all the time.
Why not the frontier, right? That's that's why I like Twain, you know. Huck Finn at the end doesn't go off to Europe to find himself. He goes into Indian territory. All right. That's all the first chapter one. That's chapter one, Roland. Chapter two is called Roderick. So right away, we're introduced to our two main characters, and we're being told that this is a novel about these two characters. Um, and most of the, this novel covers the introduction of Mary Gardner, this, this relative who uh, is interesting to both Roland and Roderick um, as they talk. But mostly, you, you get the sense, this, this novel, this, or this chapter pulls a switcheroo on you. Because you think it's leading to Roland proposing to Mary Gardner, you know, or taking her with them to, to Rome. I mean, that's kind of where I thought the story was going um, when I was reading it. But, um, but I'll get to that. I'll get to the Mary Gardner thing in a little bit. But the first, the first part of this chapter deals more with uh, talking his mother, Mrs. Hudson, into letting... Roll and take him to Rome because any mother would be skeptical. She's already lost a son in the Civil War. And I think that's an interesting contrast, right? Roland doesn't seem to have suffered because of the Civil War. Uh, and that's fairly unique in, in America in the post-Civil War era. It's like most families lost someone, uh, both North and South. So it was, you know, like a, almost a universal experience. But Roland seems not to have been affected by it. But Roderick has been because his brother was killed in the Civil War. And of course, James's family was also intimately connected to the Civil War. His his brother, you know, fought. Um, he survived the war, but he fought in in battles and was, you know, part of that. And he was the, one of the, the one of the James we don't hear about. Right? We hear about William and Henry, but not not this other one. See, you haven't forgot his name. I mentioned him in a previous episode. So. Um, So anyways, a lot of it's about that. They eventually convince her that this is the best place for him to go to make his career. And then the, like a lot of the chapter after that deals with Roland basically flirting with, with Mary Gardner, learning more about her, talking about Europe, talking about his plans with Roderick and all that. And it's a pleasant conversation. You think it's leading because we, we, we see Roland talking about or, or meditating on his affections for her through the narrator's um, voice. Uh, and you think it's going to lead to a proposal and maybe Mary's going to come along with him to Rome, right? But that's not what happens. Instead, basically Roderick shows up a little bit later and says, like, you know, I'm, I'm marrying Mary. I'm, gonna, I'm engaged to Mary now. And it just sort of comes out of nowhere. It surprises us as much as it surprises Roland. At least it surprised me. And you see a difference between these characters pretty early on, and, and it's maybe to Roland's fault. Like, he has this need to please and, and need to be polite and proper um, and do everything right. And, and Roderick is much more reckless and, and, and crazy. I mean, it ends up being this was a kind of a dumb thing to do, it seems to me, to marry Mary. Because he's going to go off to Rome and be there for a number of years. And eventually he thinks he's not going to come back and he wants to stay there. It's not a good situation, actually, um, for to be engaged in. It's almost like you get... I can understand getting married before going off to war or something, but but just engaged and then going off, it's it kind of traps both people in a situation where they're likely to find other people in their life. 
And of course, it cock blocks uh, Roland, who was working on that. But maybe it's the reckless will always win the short term in, in, a, in a kind of a contest like this. So chapter three, Rome, it, it jumps ahead a few months where where um, I think they've been in Rome for quite a while, um, you know, at least a couple months. I'm, I'm not sure how far, how long transatlantic trips took in those days, but you can imagine at least a couple of weeks. So he's been in Rome essentially for like uh, a season. And he's doing a lot of studying, Roderick. He's doing his work. In fact, he seems to, at least the way he talks about it, is he's working constantly. But he's not doing much carving, not much sculpting. He's mostly looking at things, which makes sense. He's a student. He's still studying. Um, but he's also very distracted by Rome life. And he, he's a bit girl crazy. Uh, we find out more about this later on. Uh, you know, This chapter is called Rome, so it really centers on this experience of learning about Rome. He is working on some projects, like he does a sculpture of Eve and a sculpture of Adam, and he sells them, and he make, makes a little bit of money from that. Um, but it's, you know, we'll see where you know where his career will go. It's, it's not like he's a famous artist yet. He's just still a neophyte. But he's got some game, and he's able to sell a few pieces. And he's, he's kind of getting a little bit mixed up in the the Roman kind of nightlife, I guess. The equivalent of the nightlife of what we'd call the nightlife now. Like, what you know, the social life. And now I'm having flashbacks of, of, of Dodswood, Worth, Dogsworth. Dogsworth? I forgot the name of that book. Dogsworth by, by Sinclair Lewis. Now, there's a character that's introduced here that we don't actually meet till the next chapter. Um, I will say these chapters in this book are long. I mean, they're really lengthy. There's, it's like almost a 400-page book, a little bit less. Three-something. And I think there's only 12 chapters or so. So the chapters stretch on. So things that, that you know, things that, it seems like it's much longer when you're reading it. Thankfully, I have a nice audiobook version for this one, a nice LibriVox recording, thanks to the reader's for that, I'm really happy to be back to LibriVox because I can listen when I'm walking around and taking my long walks, going to work, chilling out, whatever. Anyways, um, this character will be introduced more in the next chapter, but they run into him. She, they see him. They see her. Sorry. They see her. her this is Christina. This is the other kind of the fourth character that's really at the center of the story. Roderick sees her, immediately kind of thinks she's an American, which is kind of funny because she ends up being uh, at least partially American. And her, her parentage, her background is a little bit mysterious until later in the story. Um, so this is just kind of setting the seeds for the character we're going to meet later. But he's like, oh, I got to like know this woman. He's really girl crazy. And he's, he's like, oh, I got a painter, sculptor, whatever. He's a sculptor, not, not really a painter. Um, now, should we talk about the Adam? The Adam is his first statue that he sells in Rome. I think it's his first. What about the response to it? Um, I haven't quoted any of this book, so so let me. This is really about the about the Adam, his first sculpture. The thing is, like, I feel I don't get a sense of his art, Roderick's art, and and that's that's James's fault, I guess. I'll blame him. He, I would, if I were writing a 
book about an artist, I would do more to maybe convey what this art is. I know it's kind of, he's interested in classical themes, but he's also interested in Christian themes to a degree. He's more of, of a Renaissance type than maybe some of the modern styles, I guess. I'll have to think about it. But I mean, neoclassicism was a thing in the, I guess, the early 19th century. So he's kind of extending that. Anyways, quote, The atom was put into marble and all the world came to see it. Of the criticisms passed upon it, this history undertakes to offer no record. Over many of, over many of them, the two young men had daily last for a month, and certain of the formulas of the connoisseurs restrictive and indulgent furnished Roderick with a permanent supply of humorous catchwords. But people enough spoke flattering good sense to make Roderick feel as if he was already half famous. The statue passed formally into Roland's possession and was paid for as if an illustrious name had been chiseled on the pedestal. And uh, Poor Roderick owed every franc of his money. Quote. Now he owes things to Roland and to, and to people around town. I mean, he's been spending... A little bit crazy. That seems to be one of his sins, too. He's a young guy. He's rest, restless, anxious. Well, that actually sounds more like Roland. Uh, Roderick is just impulsive and, and a bit crazy. Um, my, my point about quoting this is to say, James doesn't tell us anything really about it. He even makes the point of saying, like, I'm not going to tell you about the criticism. I'm going to tell you about the art in this book about art. I'm going to tell you just that he got paid and that if I'm going to tell you about the relationship between Roland and Roderick and how they had laughs over this. Um, anyway, that's a novel we get. Um, now, Roland, meanwhile, realizes he's not going to have Mary or, you know, he's still kind of moping about Mary being engaged to Roderick. And so he starts looking for a new girl. Um, now, there's an interesting part in this chapter. It's, we're still in the chapter three, Rome, where some people, some local uh, Romans, some local Italians warn Roderick. This is right. This is right after Italian unification, right? This said just a decade after. But they warn Roderick. They said you got you got two dangers. One is the Bohemian life. You're going to become attracted by like you're just going to be a bum in Europe, and and you're going to get involved in that, and you're going to spend all the money you make. And the other is to be overambitious because the muses are fickle. The muses come and go and you may have a good idea, but your ability to fulfill that idea is probably less than you think. And so don't get too ambitious. Don't get too full of yourself or you'll be disappointed. These are actually really good advices that, that Roderick should have taken up, right? This is how one guy, it's Gloriani. There's all these like side characters. I didn't really keep very close attention to them, but uh, if they, you know, they're not super important to the story. Um, but Gloriani says this, My dear fellow, passion burns out. Inspiration runs to seed. Some fine day every artist finds himself sitting face to face with his lump of clay, with his empty canvas, with his sheet of black paper, waiting in vain for the revelation to be made. For the muse to descend, he must learn to do without the muse. When the fickle jade forgets its way into the studio, don't waste your time tearing your hair and meditating on suicide. Come around, and see me, and I'll show you how to console yourself. End quote. Now, what's key about? I think there's some good lesson here, and that is, if it, and this is a problem. Like Roderick will never learn this lesson. Really, he's not the kind of temperament that will learn it. But genius is just hard work. And it's not about sitting and being inspired, right? That's something that you young people often are inspired. I mean, that's the problem, right? Young people often are inspired. I remember even 
And when I studied history when I was younger and I felt like I had all these ideas and I had all ideas for books and research I was going to do and my dissertation was trying to be really ambitious and, and you just kind of get beaten down in life, in life as you move on and you realize you can't do it and you realize it's not practical and you realize you're all, there's, there's a limit to what you can do in a lifetime um, and and you just kind of have to gr- and then you kind of the inspiration leaves you after a certain point and you just kind of got to grit through it if you want to do something meaningful in life you just sort of have to churn it out and a lot of what you're going to do is crap and you throw that out. But, you know, only through practice do you get good, right? It's not, it's not going to come to you like a lightning bolt. But the problem is when you are young, it does seem to come to you like a lightning bolt. You know, whatever your field may be, right? So I think that's good advice. But he doesn't take this advice and he goes off to Germany. And this leads us to chapter four called Experience. This is a kind of a transformative chapter. First of all, uh, Roland, Roderick's gone. He's in Germany, chilling out. He's got all this money. It's all like, it's all paying off old debts, but now he can just put on new debts. So, you know, you know how it is. So he feels he's got money in his pocket. So he goes off to, to Germany. Roland goes to England for a while and, and, and comes back and, he, he, he shares letters with Mary, shares letters with Mrs. Hudson, Roderick's mother. And then finally he gets letters from Roland. And their letters are saying like, oh, I'm broke. I lost all my money gambling. Help me, help me, help me. So Roland sends money and he, Roderick sends another letter saying like, oh, I'll come back to see you. I'll come back to Rome, but I need money. And Ro- Roland writes another letter saying, okay, here's 50 pounds or something. But you got to come and see me in Geneva. And we'll kind of see what our future is going to be. And they meet in Geneva and then Roland kind of much more practical. You know, he's aimless, but he's got a practicality to him. I actually kind of find Roland a more appealing character. He's a little bit more like me, I think, that I am sort of aimless and I'm a bit of a wanderer. But, you know, I never kind of become reckless and crazy, I think, in my in my life. I hope not. So, sometimes, you know, on the margins, but by and large, I have a plan, you know. And I have somewhere I would like to go. And even when I don't, I, I kind of continue to work towards something. I'm not the kind of person who's going to go to Ru- Germany and blow all my money playing poker. Not even on beer. I love beer. I wouldn't even blow all my money on beer. So Roland, but Roland scolds Roderick a little bit when they meet in Geneva. And, you know, I think it's a lesson well learned. But here's the thing, you know, remember that warning, like the news won't stay with you all the time. Well, this is what happens. He goes back to Rome and he finds he can't find inspiration, right? In fact, uh, one thing I forgot to say is Roderick talks about how he's girl crazy. He sort of admits that he's girl crazy in his conversation with Roland. He says, you know, I just can't keep away from the gals. Where do I have it? Uh, quote, he never read. He had no studio in one way or another he had to pass the time. He passed it in dangling ab- about several very pretty women in wonderful Paris toilets and reflected that it was always something gained for a sculptor to sit under a tree looking at his leisure into the charming faces and saying things that made it smile and play its muscles and part its lips and show its teeth. I mean, yeah. It sounds good. To a deluded young person, but, you know, to a seasoned artist, they know better, right? 
can't just look at pretty faces all day and expect to be inspired. Any more than you can just look at uh, beautiful covers of history books and, and from that write a beautiful, wonderful history book. He returns to Rome, though, uninspired. He can't find his muse left him, if you ever had it. Um, and someone walks in to change his fortunes. And that is the woman we met in the last chapter. This woman he took as an American. It turns out she is an American, at least partially. Her name's Christina Light. And Christina Light will be a major player in the rest of the book. Um, he almost immediately like falls in love with her and offers to make a sculpture of her. And she actually says something like, well, how are we going to pay for it and haul this around? And he says, no, it'll be yours. I'm making it kind of as a charity case. Now, his, she comes there with her mother, Mrs. Light. And she's, she's a really kind of fascinating character. She's just, uh, she's also kind of a wanderer, but she's also very practical. She's a bit like Roland in this way. Like she knows, like she's got to have the future. And that future, particularly for her daughter. So she's planning Christina's future marriage um, all the time. And it's not going to be a bummy artist who's just getting his career started. Definitely not. So it's it, we're, it's kind of suggested heavily right right away that if there's is a romance here it's it's impossible for two for a couple of reasons one he's engaged which is something he never wants to tell people that's why I get the sense he's kind of like one of these expats who takes off his you know or or someone on a business trip to Asia who takes off his ring you know you know the type um she wants a rich husband though Mrs Light um. And Roland also has the hots for her. So it, it's kind of like a love triangle, but there's like this fourth person, Mary, and they're both attracted to her too. So I don't know what that's called. It's like four dimensions. Um, but Roland also has the hots for her. And she is objectively hot. We're told many times by James and the, the narrator and their characters. So chapter five, the last chapter I want to talk about today is called Christina. Um, so Roderick basically falls for Christina. Um, and at the same time, he's planning to bring over Mary. This is just how sort of deluded he is. He, he, he knows he's getting closer and closer to Christina as he's working on the sculpture of her, which he does finish. He is inspired enough to finish that. But he's also thinking, I got to bring Mary over, right? And it seems the right thing to do is like break it off with Mary and just find his luck in Rome because he actually talks about staying in Rome. I think that's why he wants to bring Mary over is he wants to stay in Rome. So he's basically forcing Mary to come with him and live a life in Rome that she never really said she wants. Um, and all of this is making Roland really jealous because he's kind of into both these women too in, in their own way, in his own way. So the relationship between these characters is really kind of fascinating and fun. And I think James does a pretty good job with this. Uh, even though I think the book kind of drags on, it kind of does go on a bit. It's, you know, it's it's entertaining enough. So um, eventually Roderick and Christina, because they're spending time together. She's the model. So they end up sharing more and more personal details. And she learns a little bit more about her mother, a little bit more about her her situation. She learns a little bit more about him. But he never tells her he's engaged. That news comes to Christina through Roland. Roland tells her the truth about this. And where that goes, where that ends up, is going to be the story for the next chapter and the next episode. So 
I have covered the first five chapters of, I think, 13 chapters of Roger Clutton. It's a little bit more than the first third of the book. So I kind of, a little bit more than 100 pages. But in the next episode, I will cover chapters six through nine. So four chapters in the next episode covering the, the middle part of the story. And um, one thing I didn't do in this episode was talk about Henry James's career and life between the publication of Watch and Ward and the publication of this book. So I think I'll do that. I'll, I'll say a little bit about that and then I'll jump in to, to see where the novel takes us uh, in, in future chapters. So um, this one I kind of can cautiously recommend if you like this kind of thing. I'm more into it than I wasn't watching Ward. I'm not saying I'm kind of falling in love with Henry James yet, but I, I see the appeal. I, I see what people see in him to a degree. So um, I'll give my full recommendation after I, I think a little bit more about it and, and, and give my final thoughts about it in upcoming episodes. So uh, that's going to be it for now. Uh, thanks for listening. Send me your own thoughts about Roderick Hudson uh, in the comments below. You can post them right on like iTunes to so put a review on iTunes. That would help me out. Send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or however you want to contact me. Twitter, I'm always on there. So uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening and I will see you next time. Like love overcoming strife It seemed the harmonious 